Hello, and welcome to the Break the Twitch podcast on minimizing distractions and doing more of what matters through minimalism, habits, and creativity. I'm your host, Anthony Ungaro. In this episode, I chat with my good friend, Patrick Stevenson, a copywriter, Minneapolis biking icon, and the founder of the global biking movement, 30 Days of Biking, that happens every year in April. Patrick shares how a simple tweet led to thousands of people all around the globe pledging to ride their bikes each day in April. He advocates for inclusivity and using social media not as a highlight reel, but more of a realistic depiction of what is going on in your life. With topics ranging from managing anxiety and overwhelm to making space for creative work, this conversation will inspire you to focus on what's in front of you and just get started. This is a really good one, and we go deep, especially midway through the episode, so stick with it. You're going to love it. Of course, this podcast is brought to you ad-free by the Break the Twitch member community. Members get monthly 21-day audio courses, access to a private member-only forum, and a 20-minute one-on-one welcome video call with me to show you around and get to know you a bit. You can join this amazing, intentional living-focused online community right now for just $9 a month. Find out more at breakthetwitch.com slash community. But for now, let's start the show. start off by saying that I'm grateful to have you here with me today. Thank you for joining me. Yeah, you bet. I'm grateful to be here too. I met you on Twitter. Yes. Years ago. And I feel like that was a glory day of Twitter. I, uh, I feel like that was the it was. the most glorious times for Twitter. I remember meeting you through Twitter, us meeting up because yeah. we we're bike, bikey folks mm. and I was working at Nice Ride at the time and ended up coming to your wedding, Mm -hmm. and I remember how amazing it was Mm -hmm. that I knew so many people at your wedding (laughs) from Twitter. I didn't know anyone really but you, Yeah. and then I walked in and knew a third of the people who were there. You're like, there's Johnny Woodside. So that was really amazing, and it it was that time Mm -hmm. in what, 20... 2014. 14-ish, yeah. It was that time that made me realize how cool and like powerful Twitter was an open social network. Mm. Not a whole lot has happened like that for me recently, uh, or maybe I'm just not in the right circles anymore. I don't know. Mm. But how how has that changed? I mean, you experienced that with social media. Has yeah. that shifted for you at all in recent years? Or I don't know. I just don't feel that that much of a um, a love for Twitter lately as I used to. I I mean, I used to love it. It changed my life. Like mm-hmm. something we'll talk about later. Thirty days of biking. Started on Twitter. I met my wife through Twitter. Pretty much got my job through Twitter. Some of my best friends I've made through Twitter. It's done a lot for me. But I just don't go on as much as I used to. It became very much like a Twitch. Like you talk about, like I would be up till like 11, 12 at night just flipping through, absorbing all this anger every day. And I had to stop. Like I just couldn't take it anymore. And again, all of it has a point to it. There's a point to it for sure. But I think we need to draw boundaries around that and say, okay, I need this space to not be about how angry I am at Trump because I need to sleep. 
as you kind of mentioned for me, this has felt a little bit like trying to drink from a fire hose, Yeah, trying to keep track of all this stuff. And increasingly I'm feeling like my brain is just not built to keep track yeah. of all this stuff. That's and it just feels motive. so entirely overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so that's, how do you, how do you deal with that? Have you changed your, your habits around that now? I think something really positive that I've done for myself lately is the iPhone has this new feature called screen time. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. so I say every night at 10 o'clock, shut down all my apps except for Reddit. Cause Reddit's kind of a healthy thing for me. I like mm -hmm. to read on Reddit. Mm -hmm. Um, and I can't get on any social media after 10 o'clock unless I enter a password and like it takes a minute to load and there's some guilt involved in that. And then it works. Yeah. It has me not reading Twitter at like 10 o'clock at night. I'm like, I follow it. Nola asked me to check. My wife asked me to check something on Facebook last night. And I was like, I can't. It's locked. Sorry. It'll have to wait till tomorrow. And I didn't want to break my rule. That, you know, like little things like that. I really appreciate that Apple put that in because they're realizing the addictiveness of their own device mm -hmm. and trying to help us through this. Um, so it's good. Yeah, that's one thing that's helped me lately. Um, in terms of what's inspiring me on social media, I'm actually really inspired by content creation on Facebook lately. I'm finding Facebook is a really good medium for telling like really short form stories. My cat just died. I just wrote about my cat and I found that writing a couple paragraphs about my cat and sharing that on Facebook and then talking about him with everyone in the comments that followed was very like much a part of the grieving process. So that really helped me. Like I'm seeing Facebook as an outlet for my creativity lately. Hmm. Yeah. Um, Twitter less so. Twitter just can't deal with it. Instagram very much in tune with Facebook. Like everything I post on Instagram goes to Facebook and I kind of see them, obviously they're owned by the same company, but I see them as spiritual kin. Mm -hmm. They got spiritual kinship going there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they fit together pretty well. So you shared about it on Facebook and what were some of the responses? Like what was some of the conversation or how did that? Yeah. So yeah. I feel like in this, this great, um, this great fire hose of anger that we're witnessing right now, there's also that people are making spaces where, especially with their friends, where there's like a lot of empathy and understanding. I feel people trying to use Facebook now to break down this idea that we're all perfect beings and like, this is the highlights reel of my life. Like I actually myself have been very deliberate in talking about my anxiety and struggles I go through and when I fuck up and oh, I swore a little bit. That's okay. Just like <laughs> things like that, you know, like it's it's good to just be like, hey, I'm a human and actually like do that intentionally to break off some of that facade that happens because of social media. I had one person tell me once like, it just seems like everything goes perfectly for you and I don't want to create that perception because it is not going perfectly for me. Man. Quite a few struggles. A amen. <laughs> we, can, we can unpack some of that uh, <laughs> together here because, you know, I've been thinking about vulnerability a lot. Yeah. I've been thinking about just sharing. And what I realized is that it's so much harder to be vulnerable when you yourself feel like it's just you're not. Yeah, people don't. I, I feel like in terms of like if if you think of yourself as a content provider on Facebook, people don't like just like suffering. Like I'm not just going to get on there every day and be like everything sucks i'm so miserable that that is not going to give any good positive message to anybody so i want to be honest about what i'm dealing with um a through line for the past few years like i mentioned is my anxiety i have generalized anxiety disorder and i kind of had like a i wouldn't describe it as a breakdown but like a mini it was crisis i was having like lots of i was in a very toxic work environment um 
I was having physical symptoms as a result of my anxiety and I was just kind of crumbling. And I started to deal with my anxiety. And part of that was talking about it on Facebook and being honest about like what I had dealt with and because of my anxiety and like how I was dealing with it and how I was feeling and starting to medicate to deal with it. And I, a lot of people found that very empowering. A couple people have said that they were able to deal with their anxiety because of me talking about it. It helped encourage them to actually solve it themselves. That's amazing <laughs> that because is amazing. of social media. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. Sharing that stuff that gives over other people permission to feel okay about. Yes. Themselves. Themselves. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. what I want everything I post to be about for whether it's biking or politics or anything. Mm -hmm. Anxiety, like you're good being yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if you wouldn't mind sharing, what are some of the ways that you've been learning to direct this and cope with mm -hmm. this? And, mm -hmm. and what are the, some of the changes you've implemented? Because I know that this is a very common thing. So I think a big part of it was just getting out of that toxic environment. It just, it, it was an environment that didn't work for me as a workplace. So I think there were a lot of it was there. It was a very fear-based environment that made me feel in danger when I went into work every day for very legitimate reasons. Um, and then also my anxiety was situational there. And then also I've had anxiety my entire life where I just feel overwhelmed by stimuli and I get to a point where I just can't deal with stuff. Like I'll be, I'll be in an environment where I'm surrounded by people and I cannot focus on the person in front of me because I'm just trying to take everything in. Um, so that's that's a big part of it too is like I think it maybe it's a, even a, like an attention deficit disorder type of stuff where I have trouble focusing and being present. So it was a combination of those things. Like I've had anxiety for quite a long time. I used to have some agoraphobia mixed in there too. Um, I didn't even really go out of the house when I was a teenager. Hmm. Then finding this toxic environment that made me feel so in danger all the time coalesced into kind of like the physical anxiety symptoms where I thought I had cancer or MS or like it was just this horrible jumble of like my mind was telling me something was wrong with me. And I went to the doctor and I explained everything that was going on. And he was like, you might have MS. You might have diabetes. You might have cancer. But what I think is probably it's generalized anxiety disorder. And right away it was like it woke me up like... Wait, let's do it away. Like that. I can't snap. <laughs> That's what I needed to hear, right? It was like an awakening. Like, okay, it's anxiety. Let's deal with it. So I started to take medication. And that's been the primary way that I've dealt with it. I take a nice little pill every day. And it kind of like quiets that a little bit. Like I, I describe anxiety as falling through your brain. You just fall right through it. You cannot control your descent. And taking medication kind of gave me a platform to land on and that has really helped me be present and focus hmm. and it's kind of helped me step outside of my nervous thoughts sometimes mm -hmm. and just being like this is the actual physical reality that surrounds me this is what I have to deal with right now I can take I can take this on one step at a time here's what I have to do so escaping toxic environment huge got out of there um, medication great and I think just just being more about giving myself time to just sit with things. Uh, I used to be someone who would overschedule my life. Now I'm very much the opposite. I underschedule maybe too much. Um, I don't fill my life with as much stuff as I used to. And that's helped me be like, wow, after this, like after our meeting today, all I have to do is go and write for the rest of the day. And then I'll see my baby. 
and then that's good. Like that's enough for the day, right? Mm-hmm. I don't have to like run around and do amazing a million things to be satisfied. I feel satisfied just doing one thing after another and then going to bed. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that, by the way, about you know what you've done and how things have changed. And, and hell yeah, I know you have been super involved in lots of different things, mm-hmm. initiatives, which we'll definitely get into later. But I'm curious. What caused that shift? How did you really make that happen to where you found satisfaction with less? I mean, that's mm. literally what I'm hearing. I think I just got older and more tired, Anthony. Seriously. <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I, there's just a point where you're like, I can't say yes to everything anymore. And I was very much, like I said, I was very agoraphobic when I was a teenager. Mm. So when I came out of that shell, I was very much like, yes, 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 yes. Life is amazing. I want to do everything. I want to run into random people. I want to go to every concert. I want to go on these adventures and like skydiving and test myself and like push myself into these new boundaries. And I was like, I I just got tired. I just, I'm slowing down. I'm 35 now. I kind of got to just slow down a lot. And I like to say that there was a lot of intention behind this and say, yes, I had a plan and the way I did it so I could pass these lessons on to everyone. But I think just the fact that I was getting older and I just kind of, I hit a wall in terms of what I could do. People were getting left behind. Like my wife was getting left behind with everything that I would do too. Mm -hmm. And now I feel like I'm getting a lot more quality time in um, with her too. And then another fact is that I had a baby. We had a baby a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, this is a a literal life form that you have to take care of. And you have to be there at 630 to put her to sleep. She needs you. Yeah. She loves, like, she loves me. <laughs> she walked me to the elevator today when I left, and she started crying when I was leaving, like, when the elevator doors closed because she didn't want me to leave. Like, that's a, that's my baby, right? So I, I, think, I, I think it was about reprioritizing. I think it was about reprioritizing less things that are of the moment right now and sparkly and shiny in front of me, like going from bouncing from this to this to this and wearing myself out because I would wear myself out even when I was really busy and just focusing on things that are really meaningful to me and investing in those things instead. I was going to ask, what are what are those things for you? Yeah, I mean, obviously my family. I love my family. I've been really into being a dad. Um, I try to make as much time for our baby as I can. Her name is Iskra. <laughs> She's really cute. Uh, I, th- I think, yeah, focusing on my relationship with my wife and just being present for her, uh, being present for my family. And I got a new job as a copywriter at Olson. And I have been in deep on this job. Like, I love this job. And I'm just focused. Like, I'm really digging it. Like, there's something about it, this copywriting that I'm doing that really, like, brings me alive. Mm-hmm. And that's that's been a big focus for me, too, just, like, really digging in on this stuff. And then another aspect of it, too, is my bike advocacy. So, again, 30 days of biking, which we'll talk about later. Um, <laughs> to, to be continued. To be continued. <laughs> um, that was a good reflection of who I was at that point because it was all about, like, it has to be huge and epic and as big as possible, and you're never doing enough. And now there's still 30 days of biking as an effort, which is a big worldwide pledge. But I've also invested more strongly in a monthly bike ride here and building community around one bike ride a month with a certain group of people, usually like 60 to 80 people and just doing that and making it the best, most magical that we can. So it's really about investing in those things that are, keep me present and make me really happy. Mm-hmm. So bikes, family, my job, my cats, cat, 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Versus what's fleeting and ephemeral. Mm-hmm. To me, this is the the pursuit of intentionality. I yeah. Mean, this is the pursuit of of breaking the twitch. This yeah. is everything. Uh, pursuing those things that are deeper in meaning, sometimes more difficult, mm-hmm. but less of the flash, less of the maybe except less of the excitement sometimes. Yeah. As I get older, I also feel and experience and I feel myself in a way turning inward. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm trying to figure out if that is just me getting older as well, where I'm just realizing that there's just not, as the variables compound mm-hmm. of life, I'm wondering if it's just me getting older, where I'm turning in more, where I'm feeling a little more isolated than before. I don't know. And, and this is good. Yeah. Yeah. And and so this is something that I'm wondering about too. But I I'd love to to talk about a couple of things. One, your work creatively, but but also I think since we're starting to talk about thirty days of biking here, yeah. why don't we just go ahead and dive into that? Because this is something that uh really impacted me substantially. Yeah. yeah. And it was sort of right when we met, before we met, right when we met, mm-hmm. but I ended up buying a bike. Uh, my first bike in Minneapolis here after I had moved here when I was at Nice Ride uh, doing the bike share work and mm-hmm. I met you mm-hmm. and you had started this thing called 30 Days of Biking of mm-hmm. which the poster behind you is is highlighting. That's a 30 Days of Biking poster. <laughs> yes, it is. Look at that. And uh, and it's really held something cool. So if you wouldn't mind sharing just the story of how the heck you came up with this, this idea of 30 Days of Biking and what you were hoping to accomplish with it. All right, so that's, again, going back to the glory days of Twitter. Uh, Back in March 2010, there were two things. One, I was really into Twitter. Two, I was really into biking. I had just started biking, bike commuting into work, motivated by my friend Zachariah Shop. Um, So we had created this hashtag called Winter Viking to kind of tie together all of our adventures. So Winter Viking, that's where we put all our photos and, like, Shots of us in a balaclava riding through the winter, right? Just because it's really fun to talk about your bike adventures and show what you're doing. So that spring, we were like, we need another hashtag. And it was kind of like the process of ruminating on it. What hashtag is going to tie it all together, blah, blah, blah. So it just so happened in March, a friend of mine named Liz Bastian um, was doing something called 30 Days of Yoga. And I was like, yoga's great. I'm not really into yoga, though. How about 30 Days of Biking? And it was just a lark. Like, I just tossed it out there like you do on Twitter, just to toss out an idea. Twitter is a creative, very creative space, I think. And it just so happened that the very next month coming up was April, which was 30 days. And it was a really beautiful spring. So I was like, why don't we do 30 days of biking in April? Let's start it on April 1st. And this was like March 24th, I think. So it was like a week away. And Zach jumped in on it with, with me and we started promoting it. And we were like, if you wanna do 30 days of biking, just say you wanna do it on Twitter. And we started to build a list on 30daysofbiking.com. Somebody jumped in and bought 30daysofbiking.com for us. We started to build a list there of everyone who wanted to do it. It was like 300 people that first year. And then it just blew up like as an idea, this nice, simple concept. Okay, so here's the concept. We bike every day, at least once a day in April. And we share our adventures online with the hashtag 30daysofbiking. That's it. Like that's kind of it. And you make the pledge. You make the pledge to say that you're going to do it online. Uh, share your adventures online and bike every day. So again, this idea that I want to make it okay to be who you are and just do things your way. 
30 Days of Biking is trying to be inclusive to every type of rider. So you could ride around the block. You could ride 100 miles. You can do a charity ride. That's a Grand Fondo. You can literally bike around your garage, and that counts for 30 Days of Biking. The idea, though, is that you won't be able to stop at riding around your garage because that's not enough, right? You get on your bike. We get you on your bike, and then you're like, I want to go farther because it makes me happy. Yeah. So then you do. And as someone who was already biking a lot, I was like, this pushes me even harder. Like, I've I've done so much biking in April. Like, I've done my most mileage ever in a month as a result of doing this pledge Cause just because you want to push it. It's like the way that the holiday season feels like this has this magic embedded in it, like um, Christmas. Like, the whole Christmas season leading up to it, it's like it, everything sparkles a little bit. Like, you got some... Christmas carols and Santa and everyone has like their sparkly trees. Like it just kind of has a vibe to it, you know, that gives you a collective feeling. And I feel like 30 days of biking on Twitter does the same thing. Mm -hmm. So click on that hashtag and you'll see posts from all over the world. The same is true on Facebook too. We have a group there that has a thousand people in it and a page that has like 12,000 people and Instagram, same thing. You click on that and you'll see people from all over the world who are riding just like you. And it's inspiring. Like it's a it's a collective movement that we're all in together. It's literally collective movement. Join the movement, um, and we're sharing our stories and sharing our adventures. And it's been a really meaningful thing for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me included. Myself included. Yeah. Yeah. Pow. I had never bike commuted in my life. Yeah. I maybe rode a bike for enjoyment, to get around before I had a car. I rode a bike to just ride a bike. Mm -hmm when I lived in Ann Arbor in Michigan where I grew up. But I I didn't bike commute. I did not see that as the thing. Yeah. And when I did 30 days of biking for the first time, I had just bought a bike because I was working for a bike company. Mm -hmm. I was living in downtown Minneapolis and the commute was five miles down the river road. Yeah. So it's a great ride. And a long fellow, yeah. right? Yeah. Beautiful ride. And I think I've lost like 10 or 15 pounds in two or three months yeah. of just Dang. going to work. It was That's pretty, awesome. it was pretty amazing. Yeah. It was pretty amazing. And my commute got much flatter and much shorter once we moved to this house. Yeah. But, but that's beside the point. So I took it upon myself to not ride the bus because mm -hmm. uh, at the time, Amy and I just had one car. She was yeah. driving it to, to her job and I was just taking the bus. We lived downtown. We were walking everywhere. It was really yeah. easy. But, uh, I was taking the bus and I made that change that April. Yeah. And and it was that simple thing. Mm -hmm. The idea of doing something for 30 days in a row. Yeah. And just checking that box. Yep. That changed my entire mentality yeah. around Dang. how I could get to work. Yeah. It fundamentally shifted and influenced yeah. a lot of my beliefs that have become what I talk about here on Break the Twitch and yeah. what I have learned and That's share. That's amazing. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, just from this one thing. So I yeah. should say thank you yeah. for that. And and I just think it's such a powerful thing, especially in community. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So literally collective this action, yeah. collective action. Yeah. And and this is one of the things that makes the internet beautiful. Mm -hmm. That the uh uh I, I think it's Trenta Dias de Biciclando or like yeah. a bici. Trenta Dias and Bici. And yeah, Bici, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, in Spain. Yeah. The movement. Spain has really taken a hold of it. Yes. Yeah. yeah, so there's someone in Spain named Carlos Rodriguez who I think he started 
riding with us in 2013 um as just one guy and then he has turned it into a full-on movement there too like there were more events in like barcelona this past year than there were in minneapolis the founding city of 30 days of biking I'm like, God damn, that's <laughs> yeah. amazing. Yeah, that's like, incredible. Like, they have humongous rides there. There's a big following in Belarus, and a lot, of, like, Eastern Europe loves 30 Days of Biking. How does it feel to to <laughs> see this baby, this thing yeah. that was just a, an idea that you tweeted about, yeah. uh, become something like this over the years? It's mind-blowing, dude. Like, to see a news report from, was it, that was from Belarus, where... There's 300 people, 300, 400 people gathered with a spoke card in their bikes that we designed here in Minneapolis, and they're riding in the rain together because of some tweets that we posted. It's insane. I'm getting chills. I know. Yeah. And like they're talking about it in a language that I don't even understand. It's I I, he, I feel like the human brain is not capable of processing that. I don't know that it ever was intended yeah. to. It's almost like a mixture of awe and just like I can't believe it, and also like okay. Keep going. Just mm-hmm. keep, we got to keep doing it then. So that that concept, the idea even of thinking of a thing yeah, and putting it out there is an act yeah. of, to me, an act of creating. To me, this is such an important aspect of the the, the pyramid of, of Break the Twitch, the pyramid of, yeah. of life, the it's framework. Do the smallest thing. Yes. Just, just get started. Yeah. Just put something out there. Yeah. Create. Well, what's the what's the concept in your book called? Like the minimum viable action? Or? Yeah. The, the, the MVA, the minimally the MVA. viable yeah. action. Yeah. Like that's, that's very much what 30 days of biking is all about. Like you can just ride around the block mm-hmm. and if that's good for you, that's good. I mean, for some people who can only ride around the block who are recovering from surgery or an illness or, um, have something they're dealing with, like that's what they can do. And that's fucking amazing that they can do that and get out there and bike a little bit. Mm-hmm. Some people might sniff and be like, mm, we're on the block. Ugh. That's not what we're about, though. Like, we're not competing against each other for distance. And I feel like that's a, a big problem that the bike community had is that it was very much that toxic masculinity feel like it's all about wearing spandex and nothing against spandex. But you have to have this. There's a certain way of doing it. There's the Veluminati rules or whatever. Like, there's a bunch of people who are setting the rules for how you should be a biker. And that stuff is BS. Like, that's not real. Biking is for everybody, and that's what we're saying. So whatever you can do is good, and that makes you a biker. Um, there's not an authority or a panel that's judging you yeah. as a biker. I've never heard the term Voluminati before. Voluminati. That's like, fantastic. If you look up the rules, there. It's. I mean, it's fun because yeah. it's it's funny stuff like you should only sip espresso with your cycling cap on or something like that. Right. Like, and if you don't, if you don't like bad weather, HTFU. So at nice ride, we, we always joked, uh, the nice ride is the bike sharing, yeah. uh, nonprofit where I worked before doing this. Yeah. And we would always joke about the spanditos. Yeah. Uh, and again, it's, it's one form of this stuff. Yeah. But I, I love this concept because I think that we can take that, the, this is for everyone. Biking mm-hmm. is for everyone and apply this to, everything yeah like welcome yeah come on in there are always going to be people that are going to want to make it a thing that's inaccessible it's it's i think it's our nature to be tribal yeah we want our little tribe and our little club this is for me Mm -hmm. this is my group 
you're a faker. You don't belong here. <laughs> and then I think to like things that are very like world improving, earth improving, that could actually like counter something like client change, client climate change, <laughs> client, client. Change. You can tell that I work in advertising. <laughs> client change. Um, that's very counterproductive because we should be welcoming people into this world. We should be getting people biking with us. Yeah, biking is not the indie band that you love that's selling out. Biking is for everyone. We want to be like the Netherlands or Copenhagen or whatever. Like mm. we want our own version of that where everyone can bike. We want the normies biking because that makes the world a better place. <laughs> it does. Yeah. I just am thinking that th this is the mentality that, that we need to have. I mean, there's so much fear in so many ways. When, when I talk to people about starting a new thing, uh, trying something new, different, yeah. people see that level. Mm -hmm. The spandex and the the speed helmets and the yeah. glasses and the yeah. the cleats and all this other stuff. You and need it's a very materialist American mindset. Like you need yeah. before you can start doing this, I need to get the proper clothes, I need the proper shoes, all that stuff. Right. Not true. Which to me, totally I fell yeah. into this trap of yeah. like completely plays in to the false first false step. False first step, yep. Right? The yep. idea that in order to get started, we need this stuff yep. and we need to look a certain way yep. and we need to have this thing and that is what will move us forward towards biking more. Right. Uh, having a nice helmet. Which is what or the money people nice, want us to think too. Like I will be making change in my life by buying this product. Right. It's not enough. You you have to do more than just buy a thing. It's what drives our economy yeah. is by trying to buy the person we hope to become. Yeah. But... Uh, there's a Aspiration. balance. As with anything, there's a yeah. balance, right? There's a balance. I bought a weightlifting belt recently, and that was a weird moment for me because I was like, I'm squatting and you know I'm having some trouble with my lower back, and mm -hmm. I'm just like, this is sixty dollar four inch you know belt thing you wear for squatting, and I was like, is this a false first step? Yeah. And I don't tend to beat myself up over yeah. this. I, I I'm not always like, oh, is this a false first step? Yeah. I've been lifting for ten months now. Yeah. And consistently. Yeah. And I can tell you look good. Thanks, bro. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the first time I've actually kept it this long. Yeah. I've done six month stints. I've done, yeah. you know, things we're coming up on a year. Amy and I have a strong habit. Yeah. But it's something I still think about. Like, I think it's easy to get into a place where we can beat ourselves up over mm -hmm. like, uh, I don't, I, I don't want to not be a minimalist or like, am I minimalist enough? Or yeah. am I making something like, I don't think any of the stuff that I do especially is intended to feel that way. Right. You know, it's okay to feel good and buy some stuff. Yeah. Especially if it kind of brings you up and... I mean, yeah, right. like we don't... I don't want to shame people for buying things too. Like sometimes mm -mm. you gen... I mean, if you want to be a biker, point blank, you need a bike. You need unless, a bike. Or you need a bike share membership. Right. I mean, there are certain things you do have to buy. Mm -hmm. The point is, I think, like not being satisfied purely with the purchase then you actually have to take action because of it. So if you're taking action because of your weight belt or your bike, then that's good. That's a good purchase. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. You can't be purely satisfied with the purchase. Right. That It doesn't stop there. Yeah. You need to actually then take the action too. Yeah. Yeah. To make the change. Hmm. Something like what the minimalists have done actually with this men's game where you give away one thing on the first day, two things on the second day. Yeah. This is another 30-day challenge. It is. Very similar to 30 days of biking in a way where it's like it eases you in and then by the end of it, you've given away like 500 items. I actually, I did that and I did like 1,200 things. What was that like? It was amazing. 
Our house felt so empty and wonderful. And then I got real filled up again. But we're working on that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's a, it's a it's a way like these things are saying just get started. Just do it. Um I think I think the same thing can apply to art too. Like they're very much like you know, art's for an elite. All this stuff is for an elite. What if what if you just drew something a little bit every day? Mm-hmm. What if you just painted? I don't know. Like it doesn't it doesn't even have to be good. But just try. Like there's value for yourself in creative expression regardless of whether it's brilliant. So we have to get away from this idea of elitism, like you cannot do something unless you're an elite because it's good stuff. So minimalism, art, beer. I feel like the same thing can even apply to beer. I I, I see these these snobby elitist scenes and I want to break them down Yeah. and like puncture that elitism. <laughs> puncture that elitism. That's a great <clears throat> quote. Because uh, we should be about being together right now. We're, we're on a planet that we're killing. <laughs> straight up and we have to bind together as a collective to solve this action and if we don't we're screwed Mm -hmm. that's a big thing we're very divided right now as a country as everyone keeps saying we need to figure out what's going to bring us together in positive ways so we can solve these issues it's real you know climate change i I believe in climate change i believe in science and and stuff and i i think that obviously we need to address it but how I mean, I think this goes back to just the grandeur of the internet, the overwhelming fire hose of information and problems now. Yeah. Even though, arguably, I say this as I think the stock market is tanking right now. Yeah. But even though, arguably, things are better than they've ever been before. Yeah. Statistically, I keep seeing this post on social media from Bill Gates, yeah. the founder of Microsoft, who keeps saying, look, I know it seems terrible, but world hunger is lower than it's ever been before. Yeah. Crime uh, is lower than it's ever been before. Mm-hmm. All of this data that says things are better, but why does it feel? We have a variety of monsters up in our face telling things us, us things are bad, mm-hmm. whether it's 24-7 news or social media. or yeah. it, It's stuff that takes you out of the present-day reality. Mm-hmm. That's I, I feel like I've really found in my life lately, like I could have financial troubles or issues with the with politics or the state of our country. But if I just step outside that stuff that's outside of my reality and I just focus on what's right in front of me, the world that's right in front of me, trees, grass, like the wind, snow, my family, like there's peace right there. Yeah. Um, And that's where that's, I think right in front of you is where you can find some release from that shit that we're being attacked with every day. I just felt, I just felt like my shoulders (laughs) come up when you said that. Yeah. To me, I I mean, I agree Mm -hmm. fully in in that our circles of influence have grown massively in the last 10, 20 years. Yeah. Just the the number of things that are influencing us on a day-to-day basis. Mm -hmm. Let's think about the 50s to 60s. Now, there are a lot of issues, right? There are Mm -hmm. problems, Mm -hmm. civil rights, women's rights there are a lot of core issues especially you know in the u.s around the world Mm -hmm. but let's look at generally the levels of media and influence yeah you might listen to the radio and Mm -hmm. the family would sit around the radio listen to a story on the radio that's one influence right yeah you wake up in the morning you get breakfast you you have your kids maybe Mm -hmm. maybe you don't but your, your life partner whoever you're with limited just a few people to be like, hey, have a great day. Yeah. I hope you have a wonderful day today. Yeah. You're off driving to work. 
maybe listen to the radio a bit. I don't know. Yeah. I could go through this through the whole day, but you get the point. It's like yeah. five. We have a few coworkers, mm-hmm. we have our family, mm-hmm. and we have a friend. Maybe we grab a beer after work. It's the things you can invest in right in front of your immediate Just space. Just so there. Yeah. And now it's like, I know what's going on everywhere. Yeah. And all of these things are now affecting the things I can, the things I cannot control mm-hmm. are feeling like they're affecting the things I can mm-hmm. and my ability to change the things I can because of the overwhelm yeah. of, of this stuff. And and so I loved, I love what you said just about yeah. these things because that to me is minimalism. This yeah. is intentionality. This yep. is focus on Focus on world. what's right in front of you. That's been a good a good solution for my anxiety too. Mm-hmm. Just focus on what's right in front of you. Yeah. Right now I'm focused on just talking to you. Yeah. That's everything. That so, I, that's what I love about these. Yeah. I love these conversations because yeah. it's a small room. Mm-hmm. The cameras are on and it's just whoop, Yep. Right here. Focus. One thing. One thing. It's all you need. It's that's all. I mean, yeah, there, I think a big part of minimalism is just getting rid of the stuff, but it's also, yeah, just focusing on what's right in front of you. Yeah. And that really helps me too. Mm-hmm. That's my minimalism that's worked for me the most. Love it. Um, I do feel suffocated by stuff sometimes, but yeah, I found a way to bring this to life in my own life too. Let's talk a bit about your work, your creative work. Yeah. I remember when we first met, you were working as a technical, more of a technical copywriter or a a technical editor. I was a proofreader. I would sit down and find mistakes and everything all day. And there was a lot of focus on that too. I found it very enjoyable. Um, And I did that for about five years. I worked in two advertising agencies in Minneapolis. and then at a certain point, I just got bored with it. Like it was like it wasn't enough anymore. I had all these side projects on the side, and I really love writing. So I just decided that I was going to change my career to being a copywriter. Mm-hmm. And that's when I transitioned over to Minnesota Public Radio and decided to become a copywriter. And I was the sole copywriter on staff there. And I got to work on a whole bunch of different clients and do all kinds of different writing. And uh, it was great like to do that kind of writing. It did give me a lot of training in being a copywriter. And now I've taken, I've been a copywriter now for five, six years, something like that. Six years, yeah. Um, So now I've actually been a writer longer than I've been a proofreader professionally. Like I've had writer in my job title. Mm -hmm. I still can't believe that. That's great. That's amazing. How did you make that transition? Were there any particular steps you took to, to move into that different, I mean, similar but different field? Well, I had a lot of good samples. Like I had done, I've been writing professionally since I was 19. So I had a lot of samples built up. My writing when I was 19 was horrible. It was bad. I'm like, why did you publish this? <laughs> um, but I, I got, I've been paid for my writings for quite a while. So I had a good background for it. And then I had the writing that I had done for my side projects. Like I believe that I had done some writing for Nice Ride every, like once. I wrote a newsletter email. Like there had just been pieces and bits and pieces here and there that I could then pull together. I had been a blogger for Groucho Sports about biking. Um, so I had a lot of samples there. I had some feature articles and city pages. And I had writing all over the place. So I kind of pulled that together and built up a portfolio and pitched that to the, that employer. And that was enough to get me hired and start me off as a copywriter. And I kind of had no idea what copywriting was like. It was a big learning experience. There was a lot of insecurity involved. Mm. A lot of imposter syndrome. 
I was like, everyone still thinks of me as a proofreader. Like I'm a proofreader. They're like, what is this proofreader doing here? You know what I mean? Like, uh, there, I, I felt like I had been typecast and I dealt with that for quite a while. And then something about like leaving that job and then coming back to Olson. Now I'm just like, I'm a copywriter. That's, that's it. Mm -hmm. That's who I am now. What changed? Just time, just experience, just getting beaten up, um, by these assignments, like, and failing a lot of failure, a lot of fail, not failure, but just like working in it, not working out and learning a lot of learning where I've like, I've done, I've paid my dues now. Like I am who I am now and I'm a writer. And it was interesting to come back to Olson where I was thought of as a proofreader and been like, yeah, I'm a writer now. And some people still think of me as a proofreader, which I saw very stigmatizing, but it doesn't bother me like it used to. Like they don't see that as a stigma. Actually, they just see someone who's like really good at grammar and punctuation. They don't see that as you can't write. So that was my own insecurity, actually, all along. That was driving that. Was my there, own typecasting. Was there a point when you discovered that, or was it just an evolution? I think it was. I think it was coming out of NPR and having that summer after leaving NPR to like freelance and really like spread my wings in terms of what I could do and break out of those NPR brands and like do social media for a bike shop, work on copywriting for a city council campaign, be a brand ambassador for a gym, be a marketing director for Nice Ride for a little bit. Just like it allowed me to say, you know what? I'm I'm pretty good at this stuff actually. Like I've gotten really experienced at it. Being the sole copywriter at some place that has a variety of different needs taught me so much. And it taught me to focus on what I do well instead of what I do poorly. Hmm. Um, so that's good. Yeah. yeah. And kind of own my space as a copywriter. If there were aspiring copywriters in the audience here, what might you offer them in terms of advice for getting started in the industry? Just write. Just write some stuff. Like have a blog. Just take the smallest possible action you need. Don't think that you have to have an amazing portfolio right away. Um, Just blog. Just tweet. Just do some kind of writing that demonstrates your ability. And then you can eventually build that into a portfolio or some, just not even a portfolio, just like a set of work. I've gotten hired off some word docs like this idea. Again, my experience is not universal. So maybe this is a requirement for other jobs, but I was not hired with a robust portfolio all put together. I just sent some samples over that demonstrated what I've done and that was it. And That was true of my work from NPR. That was true of the work that I did before NPR. And that got me the job. Hmm. Um, I think it's just about getting started. Just putting yourself out there and writing. And then finding a good outlet for your writing. And then eventually finding your way into copywriting. And I mean, like it could just be about applying to a job as a junior copywriter and submitting your samples. It could be about going to ad school and building your portfolio from the first day there. You just have to demonstrate that you can write to get a job in copywriting. Do you still write for fun, being that creative writing is part of your job now? And if so, what kind of writing do you like to do? Uh, I think the most I do right now is Facebook. Um, That's kind of like my main creative outlet right now. That's not my job. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of sad because I miss being a blogger and a I always had aspirations that I would be a novelist and I, I still have that dream somewhere in my brain. But right now I'm like happy with the writing I'm doing every day at work. Like I put a lot of my creative passion toward that. And then also I have a lot of like, I have a lot of passion for about delivering my own unique life, life experience 
and sharing lessons and things I've learned and like what I'm going through. And I think that's a good creative outlet for me too, is my writing. I see the writing as a tool, um, a tool to talk about what I'm going through and like promote what I'm interested in and that kind of stuff and create a feeling of shared humanity. (laughs) Yeah. And collective experience. Yeah. Yeah. We need that. I mean, I think that's what a lot of social media was started out as. Uh, as opposed to now an entertainment medium, it was a communication tool. Right. Yeah, I'm more I'm more interested in writing as a utility than I am as like an outlet for creative expression. Mm. And I feel like there are creative aspects. To, I mean, like you talk about utilities or uh, techniques, like that's very much a, a form of creativity too. Mm-hmm. But I'm less in love with writing as like writing. Like I used to be about like have this mystique of the writer, you know. Um, writing I feel like now is just a conversation. Like I'm just talking to someone about what's important to me. Hmm. And I feel like that's true on Twitter too. Like I'm just talking to someone. I'm delivering a thought on Twitter. It doesn't have to be a well-formed thought. It could just be like a sloppy thought. It doesn't have to be a joke. Just say I just watched a movie. Like I'm just conversing with you. That's it um, with writing. Yeah, That's how I see writing right now. Yeah, I yeah. like that. That's Got how I've actually come to see public speaking too because – you and I have talked about my nervousness that I had around public speaking, and I've actually come to really enjoy it, um, especially presenting at work. Hmm. And a friend of mine said that she just views public speaking as a conversation where you're just leading the conversation. And that's a great that's a great way to think of it, I think. It's not like I'm dominating. I'm in the room, and I have to entertain everyone. I'm just talking to them about what's important to me. I could have an audience of 100 people right now here, and I don't think it would change what I would say. Mm-hmm. The public speaking thing was big for me because when I started doing Nice Ride, I very much uh, was not in a position of being comfortable public speaking. Mm-hmm. And I'm still not. Yeah. But I will say that I can manage it much better, and I can really come alive when I'm doing it. Yeah. It would always be this thing where I would get up in front of a group and then black out yeah. and finish it. People would clap, and then I'd have no idea what would have happened. That's and, scary. And I would ask, like, "Did I do good? How did it go?" <laughs> you know, because I'd be there in the yeah. moment. But more and more and more, I've learned to like just sit back and enjoy here it. Here right? we are. Take a moment. Look at the. You don't have to duh, jump right into what you're doing. People yeah. are there watching, and and yeah. I've sort of just been like, "Okay, here we are. We're just yeah. talking about stuff." Yeah, and this is all we're doing. And, that actually and makes you to, more effective as a powerful speaker because you're like. Yeah, you're you're in control of the moment and you're controlling the moment. You're not scared of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You you just take that. Mm-hmm. And it's it's amazing to sort of engage with an audience that way. I'm gonna give a public speaking tip. I wanna share something that I learned yeah. real quick since we're talking about this with anyone listening. One of the best tips I've learned that I've failed to implement once or twice since I've learned it is uh never waste your first line. Yeah. That was a big one. It, it's so, uh, it's such a simple thing, but I would always go up. Thanks so much for having me here. Uh, you know, is there anyone else from Minnesota here? Like it, it was kind of, I was just trying to kind of engage and thank people. But right. uh, what someone told me after that was like, never waste your first line. Go up there and be like, in 2014. Whoa. <laughs> I, right? In 2014. Yeah. I learned something that changed my life yeah. forever. Yeah. Like grab people. And then you can be like, so glad to be here. <laughs> you can, so that's a yeah. good public speaking tip. Yeah. Uh, if you want to get people off right on the f- first first step, never waste your first line. Just yeah. go up there and be like, bah. Dude, good tip. So I've never so, thought about that before. Just go up there and bah. 
knock yeah. them out with the first punch, and then you can fill in a lot of stuff. You have a lot more leniency yeah. then. Once you've gone, whoa, right? Give them the give them the headline. That's true about like uh, podcasts too, mm-hmm. because you know this American Life will start out with a little teaser. Yep, and then Ira Glass is like. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's good. Uh, it's good content creation. Yeah. Let's talk about some of your creative habits or habits otherwise. Yeah. I'm generally curious about what people do on a regular or daily basis around mm-hmm. habits, just like morning routine habits, mm-hmm. evening routine habits, or creative habits. You want to know about my morning routine? I want to know about I your like morning it. routine. I like it. So. Sure. If you have a morning routine, what kind of what does that look like? I have a pretty established morning routine now. Love it. You want to get into it? I okay, get let's into do it. it. Um, my baby wakes me up, so we co-sleep. So she sleeps in the bed with us. So it's all about she determines when we get up, and I kind of let, I, I you know I I slowly wake up, and then she's there in bed between us, and she kind of determines when we get out of bed. And sometimes I try to convince her to go back to sleep, and I'm just like, here's my arm. You could sleep on my arm. And I encourage her to sit there, but then she eventually gets up and she's like playing and talking and babbling. And it's pretty clear that she's ready for the day, right? So I'm like, all right, let's get up. We go upstairs together. Uh, So I live in a two floor condo. That's actually like the bedrooms around the bottom floor. So we go upstairs and then we get upstairs and I turn on my flash briefing on my Amazon Alexa, Mm -hmm. which I love because it gives me public radio updates as well as like a podcast called The 201 from The Washington Post, which is about the big issues of the day. And that's a that's a killer podcast if you like podcasts. I listen to it every single day. Um, that's the power of routine too. Like every morning I go up and listen to that flash briefing. I look forward to that every morning. And I make myself a coffee. I make her breakfast. I sit her down in her little breakfast chair. We eat breakfast together. And then as soon as she's done, I I, I let that take as long as it wants because like, Sometimes she'll take a half hour to eat breakfast. Sometimes she's good after 20 minutes. It's all about when she's done eating. And then when she's clearly done eating, she'll throw food on the floor. <laughs> or we've had her do this thing where she like rubs her hands together. Yep. So I'm like, are you all done? Give me those hands. All done. I'm all done. And she's like, <laughs> like does that grin face. And so we eat breakfast together while listening to the radio, basically. Um, listening to clips from the daily show and the news and the word of the day and the managerial tip of the day, which I have from the Harvard business review. It's very valuable stuff to me. Mm -hmm. And then once we're done with that, then I have to get ready to go and get dressed and get showered. And we brush our teeth together and then we wake Nola up and then I start my day and head off to work and I walk into work, which is also a great way to start the day. The, Alexa morning briefing yes is actually what inspired me to create one the break the twitch member community yeah which is the the reason that this podcast can exist yeah and the daily audio series which I was in LA visiting my friend and he wakes up and goes good morning computer yeah he calls his Alexa computer yeah and and it says, good morning, Phil. The weather today is this. Your commute is going to suck today, in different words. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he's an IT guy. So it gave him this like IT-type briefing of yeah. the latest information breaches and different things that he needed what? to be concerned with. That's cool. He specifically found some little briefing podcasts that had this information in yeah. it every day. And I'm, I'm laying there on his couch in the living room, and I hear this going on. He's brushing his teeth. And I'm like... 
what if we had something like this that every morning we could listen to five or six minutes of yeah. an intention-setting bit yeah. of information? Uh-huh. And that's why we created the audio series that we release every month for yeah. the member community. Uh, because I love it. Yeah. I think it's so cool to be able to just be starting your day, setting the tone, mm -hmm. like getting the information you need. Yeah. I really love it. Yeah. And and uh, it's such a cool thing. I think it's going to be more and more and more what we're seeing yeah. people do. So that's... Uh, that was part of my biggest inspiration. That's so cool that you you do uh, yeah. you, you do the audio kind of in the morning, listening, briefing thing too, and get that intentional time with your daughter as well. That's really right. Cool. Yeah, it's it's time that I really love. Mm -hmm. um, I think more than any other form of content, that's the one that's inspiring me the most right now. Mm. Like, what could you do with a flash briefing? Yeah, um, you could give a bike tip of the day. You could give a intentionality tip of the day. You could give an educational tip of the day, just like this. It's 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 like we say that the most powerful things sometimes are the things you don't have to think about. The most powerful form of saving is saving that's just done for you. I feel like the same is true of the flash briefing, like content that's just pushed to me, mm -hmm. that I, I make it part of like a set of content that I ask for every morning. That's the most powerful way for me to ask for content. Yeah, I don't have to think about it. I don't have to seek out the management tip of the day. It's just given to me. Um, I love that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm really inspired by it too. What about creative habits? Yeah. How do you focus in on on doing your writing? How do you zone in? Is there an environment you create for yourself? I think I just need to find a block. It's all about finding blocks of time. So, for example, I have to write from like 1 o'clock to 6 o'clock today. And it's about setting that intention and saying, I'm going to write from this time to this time. I like to block things off on my calendar and say, I'm from one to five, I'm working on specializations, this project. And this is my time to do this. I have no interruptions. This is my space. I can go and get coffee in the middle of it. But that's what really helps me is just to sit down in that block of time and figure my way through to give myself time to figure stuff out. And I think a lot of what helps me too with like particularly writing assignments is first I have to build the box. So... For example, if I'm writing a brochure, I will first map out the brochure to like, we need a headline right here. We need a block of copy right here that's doing this. Um, we need a, like a little bust out headline right here that's inspirational, like kind of figuring out what the, what the pieces are that I need to fill in. Mm -hmm. And then I figure out what to plug in there. And sometimes like that's a good first step in terms of creating something is just to build that box and say, all right, here's what I need to do. And the very act of doing that reduces the fear because then I see it less as like this intangible thing that's scaring me and more of like, just plug this in, plug a little hole in there, psh, put a little block in. So you're essentially creating the the blocks. I, I like that idea of blocks. Yeah. Yeah. Of, of figuring out when you're going to do a thing. Yeah. Sit down. Do you do anything physically? Like physically. On your desk, on your computer. I need my desk. I clean my desk. I need it as empty as possible. Mm -hmm. I'm not one of those creative people who's like, I thrive with a messy space. Yeah. If if I, like this right here, I find to be, like, I don't know if people can see this, but like it's a very empty desk that has very few things on it. I need this kind of space to do my writing. Um, physically, I can be surrounded by anything. I can be surrounded by people. I am every day. I'm surrounded by people walking around, having conversations. Like, if I have that space, the time that I need, and I have these blocks to fill in, and I have a space that works for me that's clean, 
that has no dust and dirt on it and is not filled with clutter, mm -hmm. then I can work. I can work. I can work anywhere. I'm going to work in a coffee shop today. I can work on a couch. It's more about the time I give myself to figure things out than it is about my space or anything physical. Yeah, I wonder if I should do anything physical. Like it should be like, all right, time to create. I'm going to do some squats. <laughs> <laughs> we were just talking earlier about how we always feel better when after we move. moving, after working out in some way or lifting yeah. for Amy and, and me, it, it, it changes our physiology it feels like right. or it changes just everything about our day if mm -hmm. we just leave mm -hmm. and go lift or go go on the treadmill for a bit and watch yeah. a video or listen to a podcast or whatever uh it changes things so yeah. i don't know that's one of the ways i just shake it up i i think that makes me think of oh, so that makes me think of two things um if i have two projects to work on during the day it helps me if i say the block of time for that first project and then you literally get up leave your desk, walk around as a way of kind of like giving closure to that project, like putting my mind, all right, my mind is done with this. I need to move on to something else. Mm -hmm. So getting up and walking around and leaving that space to do, to get lunch, to get a coffee, to get some water. It's a way to tie a bow on what you just did, tie a bow on that box and like set it aside so that you can now devote your mind to something else. So that really helps me. I feel also like in terms of creative blocks, uh, What's that old Mad Men phrase where they're like, think about it really hard, then stop, and the solution will come to you when you're not thinking of it. I feel like the best stuff comes to me when I'm not intentionally thinking about things. It's like you're, it goes back into the back of your brain. Your brain's puzzling it over without you even really thinking about it. And then the solution just pops out. Like sometimes you're searching for a headline. Like if you're searching like, I got to write this headline. I got to write this headline. The headline will not come to you. Mm -hmm. But if you think about it really hard, the headline's going to come when you're brushing your teeth. Like, I feel like I, I, that's the times when my brain turns off is when I'm the most creative. And like, again, when you're, when you're a physical, like animal being, when you're outside hiking, biking, moving, that can be the most creative times because your brain is just set loose to do its thing mm -hmm. and you're not doing a lot of stuff intentionally. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like biking is a good creative maneuver for me. Hiking is too. Yeah. Just times when you can turn off the, the ego, super ego shit. Mm -hmm. Just be a being. I've recently rediscovered the desire I have to do physical work. Yeah. To build, like I built these audio panels mm -hmm. uh, or these sound acoustic panels and built the frames and, and cover them in fabric with some help with Amy. Yeah. Uh, and like I got into a flow state that I haven't felt in a long time. Yeah. Where it was just, I was me, just had some music on and yeah. I was just plugging away. I had a process and it just felt so, so good. Yeah. And increasingly I'm realizing that I need to have physical, I'm, I'm thinking like, what's a side project I can do? Like I've always dreamed about like making lamps, mm -hmm. designing and literally like welding and crafting different sorts of light sources because i just think that's fascinating yeah and i'm increasingly thinking about like huh, how could something like that be possible because man i really loved making stuff and i really enjoyed it and it reminded me i used to do a lot more out in the wood shop before i did all this digital blog and video stuff yeah that's creative expression too that's putting your mind towards something to build mm -hmm. something that's a very that's a very satisfying form of creativity it sounds like too because you have like an actual physical manifestation manifestation of what you've done around you now yeah less echo yeah <laughs> like it's not just an intangible thing it's like here look at this thing i made so what what are you looking forward to these days i am looking forward to i'm looking forward to times of more financial stability and i feel like that's coming so 
we didn't talk about this, but my wife is a stay-at-home mom. And I'm putting some good efforts toward giving us more financial stability. Um, I want that for us. I want to make, be making more money. And I think those times are coming. I just got to keep working on it, build my client base up, get a promotional work. Um, that will give us some stability. So I'm looking forward to times of more stability. I'm looking forward to selling my place and buying us a house with a yard so my baby can play in the yard. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking forward to 2020 when Trump is out of office. Um, I'm just, you know what, I'm even looking forward to the pro- process along then because it's clear that there's a movement now that is saying, this, this person is not who we are and we're going to stand up. Like, to see progressive politicians now and like the wide variety of women who just got elected to the House of Representatives and that can be who we are too, not just this old white male who's a big whiner, is amazing. Like, there's progress coming right now. Mm-hmm. Um so I want I want to see this come alive. Like I want to see what these Democrats are going to do, and not just to like get revenge with Trump, but just like prioritize like things that are really important, mm-hmm. like healthcare, and the environment, and um, not demonizing immigrants, which we are all immigrants. Yeah. So yeah, like I I'm looking forward to that too. So uh, over to your right, there is a bowl of what? questions. So these Fine. have been left by other uh, guests on the show and yeah. some commenters on YouTube and other folks. So if you wouldn't mind grabbing that bowl, and we will uh, we'll have you pull a question, and then you'll actually leave one of your own. If you don't mind uh, reading out loud and let sure. me know who. If you could give advice to your younger self, what would it be and why? YouTube viewer Crystal. Oh, cool. Like, like I mentioned, I was very caught up in my agoraphobia when I was younger, and I was just very scared of everyone. Um, biking really brought me alive, and I wish that I had started biking more seriously much sooner. Mm. Like I, I say all the time, I wish that I had biked to college instead of taking the bus, because there's something about biking that just makes the world feel more alive and more understandable. You, I mean, you learn how to navigate it by yourself with your own body versus just sitting in a car. Um and that really gives you a good understanding of yourself. And I wish that I had attained that self-understanding much sooner. So there's that. I mean, like, the way I did it worked out well. Like, my my passion for biking produced 30 Days of Biking, which introduced me to my wife, which became this, has, like, much bigger thing as a result of it. So if I had started doing that sooner, who knows who I might be right now. But I think biking was such a profound realization for me um, that I wish I had done it sooner. I always liked bikes, but I never became a serious biker who did it. Like I, I never became someone who biked every day and just becoming a regular biker and using it to just get from place to place was awesome. Hmm. So younger Patrick, I wish you had done that. It's okay though, that you did it. <laughs> you that. found it later. You found it when it counted. Yeah. Dude, that's a good rhyme. You found it when, when it, it counted. counted. You found it when it counted. <laughs> You found it when it counted. You found it when it counted. You found it. Break the twitch. <laughs> that was pretty good. You were right on, right on beat. We had that flowing. Patrick, where can people find you online if they want to follow up, find your work? Oh, gosh. Um, find me online at facebook.com slash patiomensch, P-A-T-I-O-M-E-N-S-C-H. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram and LinkedIn. And if you want to check out 30 Days of Biking next April, it's going to be at 30daysofbiking.com. Starting on March 1st, we'll have sign up up. 
You can find me every month at the Joyful Riders Club, the second Thursday at Surly Brewing at 6 p.m. in Minneapolis. And find me at your local supermarket looking for salsas that are really spicy and biking around and walking and loving life with my baby. Perfect. <laughs> well, I really appreciate you coming uh, to the house, the studio. <laughs> yeah, it's been a pleasure. Uh, thank you. Ka-pa-chow. Thank you for all of your wonderful influence in my life over yeah. the years. And uh, thank glad you for to have saying you saying that. All right. And that concludes our conversation. If you enjoyed this episode, please do take a moment to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It would be a huge help to get the word out about this podcast and the work we're doing here at Break the Twitch. Hope you have a wonderful week, and I'll see you in the next one.